0: Most of us in this room are not farmers. But that doesn't mean we don't know about seasons. We all know about seasons. We know there is a time to plant. We know there's a time to harvest. We know that in January, you put your lawnmower away. The only thing you do to your lawnmower is take the gas out so it's not ruined by, you know, March when you need it. We know that in January, you don't plant those beautiful bulbs for daffodils or tulips. That's going to be in the fall or, you know, if, if you really want to see them next spring. There's seasons for everything. We know there's light and there's darkness. And I think people in New York who never even have seen grass know that there are seasons. It's just intuitive in us. So when we come to a passage in the Bible... Where it speaks of this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 8. It says, for everything there is a season. We look at that and say, yep, we know that. I mean, man, right now, if you want corn, you can eat corn every day of the week and just come to my house. You want tomatoes? I got enough for the church. You got zucchini? I have enough for Salem. (laughs) It's that time of year. And as my good friend Ed said, in August, if you don't have access to tomatoes, you have no friends. <laughs> it's true. I mean, there are apples everywhere. There are tomatoes everywhere. We know that. And we also know that in a few months, we're going to head into winter. But that passage actually is not talking about agriculture. It's talking about the seasons of our life. But very few of us, very few, myself included, have really sat down and said, you know what? How does the seasons of my life affect my spiritual life? And by the way, what season am I in? And what are the characteristics of these various seasons? Agriculturally, kind of weather-wise, we know when it gets to winter, man, it gets wet here. And if you're new, coming to college, or just met some folks from uh, California, and I said, brace yourself. Go outside and enjoy this day because it's not going to last. I never, I grew up here. I spent some time in Colorado, but I, I grew up here. This is home. I, I never thought a thing about rain. It was like, it rained. Who cares, right? You can do in the rain, what you can do in the sunshine, go outside. I think when I've gotten older, I've kind of become a little bit more sensitive to the battle of December, January, and February. And so one of the things I've done in my life is give myself rewards for making it through winter. <laughs> um, daffodils, in case for those of you, I, I didn't grow up knowing flowers and my mom knew flowers. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's like for guys to like love flowers, everyone thought you were weird. So I didn't love flowers until I got older. Daffodils are the first, to my knowledge, maybe somebody can correct me, but I think they're one of the first flowers that blooms around here. And so I decided, you know what? Daffodils make me happy because I have gained victory over another winter. And so I figured if I like daffodils, let's plant 300 of them. (laughs) So if you get depressed and you want to come up to my place, now I'm at a thousand feet, so I'm a little bit later than downtown, but if you want to come up and, and just kind of hang out in the daffodils, feel free, I'll serve you coffee because they make me happy. And when I see them, I think to myself, I nailed another winner, I won. I get to golf or I get, you know, something. I mean, I don't really like baseball, but I, for those of you who love baseball, it's like, it's going to be coming I love spring because it means I endured another winter. So when I think about your life and mine, and God says, for everything, there is a season. I realize that I've really never developed the rhythms of my spiritual seasons. But much like winter, spiritually, I don't like them winter here it's bleak it's fruitless you don't go out to an apple tree and pick an apple in the middle of winter they're gone you don't go out and pick a pear I'm two weeks from just a beautiful bumper crop of pear but not in January January is waiting it's brooding it's dark it gets dark at three o'clock here or something like that It's long. The longest day of the year is December, January, and February. (laughs) And so when I enter into winter spiritually, I kind of tend to do the same thing. I want to get through it. Because I might conclude that like in agricultural area, Winters, nothing good can come out of it. It's not produced. I mean, yes, we get rain and we need that. And the mountains need the snow. And I can rationalize all of that. But it's still bleak and it's difficult. But unlike the agricultural world, in the spiritual world, winter is good. And the reason it's good is because it most likely is going to be the greatest season of your growth. Winter is not something just to endure, it's something to be transformed in. And that's what Psalm 88 is about. Psalm 88 is winter. It's not a happy psalm. People don't preach it a lot. They preach Psalm 7, 23. They preach Psalm 119 if they want to, you know, a whole series on the Word of God, and it's beautiful. They preach Psalm 1 if they want to talk about the blessedness that comes from a person who's rooted in God. But very few people touch Psalm 88. Why? Because it doesn't start well and it doesn't end well. And there's no happy middle. It's just kind of painful. He talks to God about you've taken every good friend. You made my house on the edge of a graveyard and every day I look at death. So who wants to go there? But it's in the Bible and it's in the Bible because you need it. You will need it if you haven't needed it already. You will need it because you're going to hit winter. That winter may last two days. It may last two years. It may last 70 years. It did for the nation of Israel. Their previous winter was 400 years. And God's writing this, not to an individual, but He actually writes it to a church. If you notice that at the beginning of 88, it says, A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah for the director of music. Now, I guarantee you, if Nathan brought this song up here and had us sing it, well, you'd look at him and, like, dude, can you pick a happier song? That thing is miserable. Maybe part of that reason is because we're committed to something that is not really biblical. Because everything, there is a season. And it's not just American churches, it's Korean churches, it's Latin churches. And that is that we've adopted and perfected a model of activity-based spirituality. And here's what it means. The more you do, the holier you are. And I think to a degree, I've adopted that. I like it when people say yes. When people say, I'll serve, I'd take that. Yes, I'll add that to my schedule. Yes, hallelujah, God's working. And when people say no, I'm kind of like, and they say, pastor, I need more margins. It's like, eh, margins are overrelated, or overrated. I, I have fallen into that. It's easy to fall into that idea. And yet I hate it when people say, I don't want to call you, you're too busy. No, I'm not just like you, I have 24 hours in every day, seven days a week. The only difference between me and most people is I really don't like sleep all that much. But the fact is, is we can adopt and it's not good. The more you do, the holier you are. Why is that bad? Because there's going to be seasons of rest. There's going to be seasons of recalibration. There's going to be seasons of grief. There's going to be seasons like Psalm 88. It's called winter. And God takes you into it, not because he hates you, but because I believe winter is where people grow the most. If you're a parent, you don't want to see your kids go through winter. You love spring, you love summer, you endure fall. But if you're a parent, you don't like winter. Winter is where your child suffers. Winter is where they get suspended in school. Winter is where they call you and say, Dad, I'm leaving my wife and I'm moving in with my boyfriend. That's winter. And you don't know what to do sometimes in those winters. But Psalm 88 is there. Why? Because the Bible's measure of maturity is not busyness. It's fruitfulness. And I don't know if you've ever paused and think about that for a moment. Fruitfulness inherently takes us to what? Seasons. Not every season is going to be a season in your life where you're going to bear a lot of fruit. Not every season in your life is going to be one where you're harvesting. There's going to be seasons of waiting. There's going to be seasons of trusting. And in that moment, Psalm 88 teaches us This is not a place where God hates you. This is not a place where God's trying to undo you. It's actually a place where God's trying to take your roots and drill them deep into the ground so that you have stability and sustainability. What do you do in that place? Well, you have to recognize, first of all, that God allows us to experience them. God allows you to experience winter. What happens in that place? Well, number one, It's a place of complaint. Look at verse three. For my soul is full of trouble. My life draws near the grave. In other words, God, you planted me. I I remember Carrie and I, our first home in in, in Denver was right on the edge of a graveyard. I mean, we looked out every day to 10,000 dead people. And that's what he says. That's my whole life. I am counted among those who go down into the pit and I'm like a man without strength. I remember recently when we went to Peru that a number of us got some parasite and got into us and I I always marvel that uh, something that I can't see, I ingest and I get it into my body and I, I have no capacity. I mean, getting from the bed to the bathroom is basically all you got. That's what this writer, the, the sons of Korah, are describing. That's what's happening. That's winter. This person has no energy. It has no passion. He has no direction. He has no hope. It's like, God, you've taken it all. And by the way, you've taken my best friends. It's a place of complaint, but it's also a place of blame. Verse 5 and following, he says, I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are out from under your care in other words God I have now become a person that you don't give a rip about it's blame it goes even further when you get down to verses 9 through 12 where he makes this statement I call upon you Lord every day do you show wonders to the dead do those who are dead rise up and praise you He's moved out of blaming and out of his complaint, and now he's just into sarcasm. He's he's actually in that place where it's like, "So God, you who talk about resurrection, do you really bring life to the dead? I doubt it." It's not a popular psalm, but it's a psalm that we all live. One of my favorite authors uh, is Philip Yancey. Um, his life, I don't really fully know why, other than I know he was raised in just a toxic and an abusive culture of church and family. And his life has been kind of moved, He sold millions of copies of books, but he talks about Depression. He talks about disappointment with God and where is God when it hurts, and and uh, just suffering. That's been kind of a theme of his entire life. And recently, I was listening to him describe um, his entry into a new winter, Parkinson's. And how he discovered it was he was skiing in Colorado and he was going down a hill. And his brain said, turn left because there's a tree up there. And his body wouldn't communicate to his brain. His brain was saying, turn left, turn left. And his muscles and his body took him straight into the tree, which took him to ER. And in that process, it unfolded that he had Parkinson's. This winter disease where your muscles are like cement And it begins to deteriorate, not not so much at your heart level and your your mind level. You can be brilliant, you can be very bright, but your body just seems to not want to cooperate and it's winter. And as much as we don't want to experience that, we do. All of us as Christians do. A friend of mine Had a dear friend, longtime pastor, I I didn't know him, my, my friend did. And this guy was pastoring, very, very effective pastor, a very effective church, and no one knew deep inside something was just tragically wrong in his despair. And this pastor, after a series of just wonderful leadership movements in his church, took his own life. My friend called his wife the next day after the suicide and said, just checked in. How are you doing? She said, I'm reading Psalm 88. He said, interesting. So am I. Why are you reading it? And she said, because I want to hear that God gives me permission to be in a place today where I have no answers. People ask, why was your husband depressed? I don't know. They didn't realize that in that very question, it was an accusation against her. Why wasn't I enough to make my husband happy? Why wasn't I enough to give my husband joy and a reason to live? And the church, they went through that. Why weren't we enough to give our pastor a reason for life? And, and, and he, he was interacting with this woman and he said, what, what is it that you see in Psalm 88? She said, it's permission. Permission. It's permission from God that I don't have to be happy today. Because I'm not. I don't have any answers. And I can't tell you why my husband felt so desperate that he took his own life. That's why Psalm 88 is in the Bible. It's not there to give you permission to be a spiritual Eeyore the rest of your life. Some of you kind of like that. Some of you, it's kind of like no matter when somebody comes to you, how are you doing? Uh, I tell you, it's just is horrible being me. And if you're kind of committed to that, God forgive you, and, and, and I hope he can lead you out of that. That's not Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is a season in your life. It can be a day. It can be a weekend. It can be a week. It can be two or three years. It can be four, 70 years like it was for the nation of Israel where God takes you to a place of barrenness. And the question is, what do we do there? This person prayed. And God wants you to pray in your winter. Why? And this is where it's critical. Because in the midst of winter, what you pray is not what you see, but you pray what you know. Let me explain that. If you went out to our apple trees right now, you're gonna see all kinds of apples. You don't have to pray by faith. You don't have to say, God, like I do in January when I've trimmed that tree. By faith, I pray that this tree bears fruit in the, the, the fall. I don't have to live by faith right now with my apple tree. I can see it. But in winter, you don't see the harvest. And in winter, sometimes you don't feel the faithfulness of God. In winter, you don't feel the warmth of friends. In winter, you feel the betrayal. You feel the question. You feel the wonder. You feel the angst of a son who has left his children and his wife and has moved in with his boyfriend. That's winter. And when that occurs, as a parent, you're grieving. You're lost. You don't know how to have basic conversations you have no idea what to do for thanksgiving and christmas is a nightmare it's winter and birthdays are no longer something you celebrate it's winter and in that moment you don't pray about what you see because what you see is desperate it hurts you have to pray for what you know God, you have not abandoned my son. God, you have not walked away from my daughter. God, you have not abandoned my grandchildren. And to a wife whose husband was pastoring a very effective church, she doesn't pray in that moment with what she sees because what she sees is a grave. She has no explanations for her lovely church and she has no explanation for her kids and she goes to bed every night feeling the shame and the blame that for some reason she wasn't enough to keep him alive you don't pray what you see because what you see is a grave what you see is the abandonment of friends you have to pray what you know And that's why winter is the ultimate cultivation of biblical faith. Because in this season, your roots begin to sink down. And what you believe about God at its basic and most core level is going to be the most significant thing in your life. It's going to be that which... Keeps you stable. It's going to be that which keeps you from going over the edge. It's going to be that thing that keeps you engaged with your children. It's going to be that thing that keeps you engaged with your wife as her health deteriorates. It's going to be that thing that keeps you from disconnecting from people. Because you're going to discover that God, you're with me, and your promises to me have not been abandoned. It's in that moment in the winter that we learn how to pray. To be quite honest with you, you can tell a person who's not gone through winter, just listen to their prayers. They're trite. They're cliche. They're formulated little bylines that they learned from a book, but they don't have any depth. They don't have any depth of conviction. They've never been tested. And that's why God says, my dear friend, You need winter. He doesn't want you to live there. He doesn't want it to be the common characteristic of your life. He doesn't want it to be that thing that will mark you the rest of your life. You just need it. Because it's there you learn how to pray. And it's there you learn what it is about God that you are unwilling to let go of. Sometimes, you remember that moment where Jesus was with Peter? Peter? And a bunch of people had left. A bunch of people had turned away and and, and Jesus turns to Peter and said, what about you, Peter? What are you going to do? And you'd wish that Peter would say, oh, Lord, man, you're you're my Lord and Savior. You're going to overcome death and you're going to have victory. What what is Peter saying? Where else am I supposed to go? (laughs) Not exactly strong conviction, but it is. Who else, Lord, has the words of eternal life? There's not another better option. I know too much to defect. That's winter. Peter had watched a bunch of people leave. He'd experienced some failure and some healings. And yet he comes back and Jesus said, what about you, Peter? What are you going to do? And in the midst of that period of time called winter, Peter came to this conviction. I have nowhere else I want to go. And that's why winter is the most significant season of your life where it's the ultimate cultivation of biblical faith. But friends, there is grace in winter. There is. Let me help you see it. We all know that there's 151 different psalm in the Bible. But maybe some of us don't know that those psalms are broken into five books and those five books as it is broken out are organized in the bible have certain themes so for example one through 41 if you kind of go back and look at them they are god's blessing promising his presence with them through a king by the name of david they're going to have victory as david leads them Psalm 42 through 72, that is a group of psalms. It's a book about the anticipation of God going before them with Solomon. And then you get to Psalm 73. 73 through 89, not 88, but 89 is another book. And that is the book of enemies or the book of exile. That's the book that speaks about Babylon It's the book that speaks about betrayal. It's the book that speaks about abandonment. And all of those have this connective piece to what? Winter. Where's the grace? Psalm 88 isn't the last chapter of this book. 89 is. 88 is not the period on the exile period. 88 is not the summary of Babylon. 89 is. Let's go to 89 for a moment. And when you begin to read 89, something's changed. It's still a mascal of Ethan, the Ezrite. Or, yeah. And he says, I will sing... Of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness. Known through all of the generations. And I will declare your love Lord. And it stands firm. And it's going to last forever. That you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. And you have said. I have made a covenant. With my chosen one. And I have sworn to David my servant. And I will establish your line forever. And I will make your throne firm through all generations why is there grace in the middle of winter it's because God says that's not going to be the final season that will define your life 89 finishes this book and it tells you that God will be faithful he will fulfill his promise and the implication is this winter is not going to be the season that defines your life It will be a season you go through. You'll probably go through multiple seasons of winter, but it won't be the overarching definition of your life because 89 finishes this book. And 89 is where the writers come to the point where they say, God, you have reminded me again of your covenant. You have reminded me again of your faithfulness, not just to the nation of Israel, but to the one that you've made a covenant with. And that promise is going to be to you as well. This was a Psalm 88 and 89 were a Psalm that were to be sung in the church. And so there might be seasons that our church goes through what we would call winter. There might be some challenges where the the culture of our city or the policies of our city have a a, a negative association. Or maybe the the implications are hard on us. And we're going to go through that season. But God promises this. This will not be the final chapter. Faith grows well in the season of winter. And there's grace there because God says, winter will not be your last stop. There were a number of us from our church that um, traveled to Israel a few months ago. I've only been to Israel twice, and so I'm no expert at all. But I do have a favorite place it's Caiaphas' house, it's where Jesus stood before that high priest. And when you come to that place of excavation, you will see on the limestone rock these hitching posts where they used to come up and hitch their horses. And then when you make your way up that limestone wall, you're going to see some other hitching posts up on top. And you're going to think to yourself, man, man them are some big horses. Uh, and there's no horses that big. Those hitching posts up there were for people and they would hang them against that limestone, and they would beat them. That's where your savior hung and was beaten for you. They bring him down from that rope, and they take him to a place, it's called the pit. It's kind of underneath Caiaphas' home today. And when you walk into that pit, you make your way down and it gets colder down there. And if it's hot day, you kind of want to stay in the pit for a little while. But you get down there and you you walk down these steps. Those steps were added for tourists. When Jesus was there, they just threw him into the pit. And when you make your way down that pit, you're going to see over there in the corner from the stairs, this book. One book, one chapter. Multiple languages. And typically somebody in your group will be asked to read that and what they will be reading is Psalm 88. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. And if it hasn't occurred to you prior, it does in the most powerful way in that moment that this winter that the writer is writing about is that night that Jesus stayed in that pit. Can anything good come out of winter? Yeah. See, the father looked down upon a son. It's one thing for you to go through winter. It's not easy. But I'll tell you, when your kids go through winter, it will rip your heart out. When your kids face winter, it'll crush you. And when the father looked down that day, he looked at his son in that pit. And he heard his son say to him, Father, you've taken every friend I had away from me. Do you care for me anymore? It was winter. It may have been the darkest winter. We know of Gethsemane. But we also now need to elongate our winter to the pit. And out of that pit, the father looked upon his son and knew in three days, you're gonna endure one of the darkest seasons of your life and you're gonna feel like I have betrayed you and you're gonna say words like, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? I don't think those were fabricated words. I think those were real words very much reflective of Psalm 88. If you're in the season of a winter or you have a child that's in winter, understand the father gave you Psalm 88 for a reason. And he attached 88 to 89 because 88 tells you, as the Father in heaven knew, you're not going to remain in the pit forever. You're going to walk out of the grave, and your victory in this winter is going to purchase every one of your salvation. And the lessons you will learn in your winter and the transformation that God does in your life is needed. Because you need to learn to pray. Not what you see, but what you know about God. Just like the son who grew in wisdom and the father who looked upon his son and was crushed in his heart, just like you are when your kids go through winter. But you need to understand, 88 is not the end. 89 finishes this book. And it finishes with what? You've remembered the covenant you made with David. And God will say the same thing to you. I've made a promise to you that winter will not be your final destination. And therefore, wait, pray, trust, and you will grow. You will. And you will grow because you need it, just like me. But God will redeem your story because he will redeem every winter. Let's pray.